God has designed the human race as the only thing in all of his creation to live in two worlds at the same time. We live in a very practical world, and you can validate that world with your five senses. It's the things that you see, touch, taste, smell, hear. But there is another world that is just as real that you can't validate with those five senses. It's the world of Jesus and angels and heaven and Satan and hell and demons. Christmas is one of many examples in history where God reached from his world to our world. And he came here and he lived here in this practical world. People could see him, hear him, touch him, right? God sent angels with sometimes preposterous news that people had to process. At least twice, there were miraculous pregnancies. Elizabeth and Mary. People came out of the Christmas experience changed. And when Jesus was getting ready to leave, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going back to heaven from which I came, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. And when the Holy Spirit came, what did it look like? Tongues of fire? Remember? I would like to invite you in 2015, along with me and all of our worship leaders, to consider God continues in our day to regularly reach from his world to our world. And he invites us to reach from our world to his world. And this room has been dedicated for 40 years to be a place where people reach from the practical world into the spiritual world. How do we do that? We do that as we worship in song. We're singing to God. We're singing about God and His glorious truth. We do it when we pray. We're reaching from here and we're talking to God in His throne room, right? We do it when we open His Word and we read inspired words that He has spoken to us so. Let's start right now, right where you're sitting. Start having a conversation with God. Go ahead, start quietly in your heart, speaking to God, reaching from Williams Bay into the throne room of heaven. Jesus has earned your right to go there. And then as we begin to worship him in song, recognize that this is an intersection between God's glorious world and our very practical, all too often evil world and experience the miracle, the mystery of an encounter with God. I invite you to be seated, friends. As I dismiss the children, the little ones up through grade four to some wonderful adults who are ready for them, could I ask you to just take your copy of God's Word and hold it for just a moment? What is its real value to you? Is it worth $100, $1,000, a million dollars? We talk about this intersection between God's world and our world. This is one of the great ways it happens. If this is what God claims it to be, His miraculous Word to us, when you open it and you read it, He speaks.
miraculously into your life and mine. Is that a true statement? I wonder by the end of this day, by the time you and I put our head on the pillow, how many people will find themselves unexpectedly with a gun in their face and the person says, give me your Bible or I'll shoot you right here. And how many will say, then shoot me? Because you're not getting this book. I wrote for you on the front of your worship folder, Christmas trees clutter street curbs. Returns have been completed. School is back in session. Collegians have returned. It's the first quarter of a new year in the marketplace. Is Christmas forgotten? We anticipated Christmas for many weeks, and now it's history. So what difference has Christmas made, really, in our lives and in our world? And in the middle of your worship folder are some notes that I would urge you to look at because I want you to consider this concept that has struck me. And thank you, Gene Graff, for making that picture for us. You and I live in the intersection between those two worlds. And you and I look at our world through glasses. Uh, not because, like me, you need some help seeing, but because all of us have what's called a world view. And through the lenses of your worldview, you receive all the information that comes at you. And now it comes at you fast, doesn't it? Cell phones, internet, all kinds of things. If your worldview says, it's all about me, I am the single most important thing in the universe, then you process your information that way. If your worldview says, it's all about my success, the information that comes that will help me be successful, I'll take that, but everything else I reject. God says He would like you and me to have a biblical worldview. That we process the information that comes at us through the lenses of God's truth and the relationship that God has designed for you and Him to have. Is that a true statement? Anything other than that is distorted. So watch this. See if you think this is right. As this came into my mind this week, and I've written it down for you in your notes, and you'll see it on the screen, it's a little overwhelming. With every piece of information that comes at you, no matter how it comes, you almost instantly make a decision. According to my worldview, do I ignore it, or do I engage it? I think about it some. As I engage it, do I then disregard it, I reject it, or do I embrace it? It's important, it's truth, I, I, want, I want to work with this. As I embrace it, it either confirms my life journey, or it calls me to make a change. And when I have that experience, I then usually become an advocate of whatever that information was. Now, in your notes, as you can see, I've got some blank lines there for you, and I'm going to ask you, I know the Packers are playing in a few minutes, and I'm watching the clock, but, and I know there's another game after that, and if you're a college football fan like me, tomorrow night's even bigger than today. But maybe when you get to Tuesday or so, take some time <laughs> and think about what is the worldview through which you process all the information that comes at you, and write it down. And then ask yourself, 
Is that wise? Should I live the rest of my life like that? And then ask yourself this question, what difference did Christmas make in my life this year? Or was it just food and family and fun and holiday and now let's move on to the next thing? I love Christmas and we're going to hold on to it for a little bit and I'd like us to look at three people in the Christmas story fairly quickly and understand how did they process what happened to them. You know that the story is found in two places. In Dr. Luke's account, chapter 2, we meet the shepherds. It tells us there in Luke 2, verse 8, Now there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. You've heard that from the time you were a little child. What does it tell you about these people? It doesn't tell you, are they all men or were some of them females? It doesn't tell you, were they all adults or were some of them children? It doesn't tell you where they come from. It doesn't tell you exactly where they were. It tells you they were shepherds' profession. These were people who defined themselves by their profession. Do you know anybody like that? I'm Bill, and I'm a teacher. I'm Bob, and I'm a doctor. I'm... Do you know anybody that their identity is wrapped up in what they do in their career? And when they are not at or doing what they do, they kind of don't even know who they are. Know anybody like that? These guys, and maybe gals, were people who lived in this intersection between God's world and our world because they lived out there away from the city lights, and at night, often I would imagine, they laid back and looked at the stars. Wow! Look at what God did, and occasionally, did you see it? A shooting star. They watched the sun come up in the morning. So it doesn't surprise me that God chose those people to be the ones that suddenly one night an angel appeared to them and spoke in their language and they understand it. I bring you good news of great joy. God wants to talk to you and not just talk to you but tell you a Savior has been born tonight in that town over there, the city of David. Suddenly there's a whole choir of angels. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men. They're gone. And they rubbed their eyes, I'm sure, and they looked at each other. Now they have a choice to make. Do we ignore it or do we engage it? As we engage it, what does it mean? Do we reject it or do we embrace it? Now, Luke doesn't tell us what they said to each other, but somebody finally said, well, I'm not just going to sit out here. I'm going in to find out, is it true? Let's go see this thing. They embraced it. And they were the first, as far as we know, to see this miracle of God wrapped in the body of a little baby, Jesus. And they walked away saying, eh, no big deal, I've seen babies before. No, they didn't. They walked away, Dr. Luke tells us, and they went to every house in town and knocked on the door. We got a story to tell you. And for the rest of their lives... It says they returned back to the fields praising and glorifying God. And can't you imagine, friends, that for the rest of their lives, every person that they met who they thought maybe had never heard the story, Sue, I have a story to tell you. Would you listen to my story? I saw an angel. I saw the baby Jesus. I held him in my own arms. Can't you imagine? Their lives were changed because of Christmas. Because they didn't ignore it or reject it, they embraced it. So my question, and I have it right there for you in your notes. After the Packer game is over, you can think about this. How has Christmas affected me? 
my worldview, my values, my priorities. In that stable, they met a young girl. Can't you imagine them saying, so what's your name? Is this your baby? <laughs> Tell us, how did it happen? Dr. Luke tells us her story, as you know, just one page back, starting in the first chapter, where it says there in verse 8, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. That's how we're introduced to Mary. So let's apply the same thing. Would you help me? What is this person's identity? What do you know about her? Help me. I'm sorry? She's a virgin. Thank you. That's important. You can imagine she prided herself in the fact that she has been careful. She saved herself for her man. She's engaged, right? Engaged to be married. <laughs> We're celebrating a single young woman who has tried hard to be God-honoring in her life and by God's grace is at least engaged and may someday be married. Her identity is her marital status and her purity. She too has a sudden angelic appearance. The angel speaks her language tells her that she is favored above all women. And then the angel explains that you're going to have a baby, but you're not going to know a man. God is going to do it. Unlike the shepherds, Mary just doesn't stand there and listen to it, and she talks to the angel. They have a conversation. You see, she has stepped into this encounter, this intersection with God. She's embraced it. She's not just listening. She has stepped into it. Can you think of a time in your life when God reached to you and you stepped into it? It was an opportunity for you to take a step of faith. It was a powerful truth that came to you in worship or in His Word, and you knew you needed to do something with that. She had a question. How could this possibly be? I understand the question. Gabriel said, God Himself is going to do this. You're going to experience a miracle unlike any other person. She had to make a decision. She knew what it would mean for her. You remember her response? I am the Lord's servant. What does that tell you about her relationship with God? Be it unto me as you have said. She knew it was too much for her to process. She had a dear elderly friend, Elizabeth, spiritually mature. She went and spent three months with her. Help me understand this. Do you have someone like that in your life? Regardless of your age, chronologically, regardless of your age, spiritually, do you have someone in your life that when something happens and you need some help processing, help me understand this from a, mo a more mature spiritual perspective. Do you have someone? Can you put down their name? Are you that person for someone else? That's disciple-making. That's part of the exciting aspect of the journey with Jesus. We're growing all the time. And somebody is pouring into your life, and you're pouring into somebody else's life, right? <laughs> so the question for dear Mary, of course, what does my heart treasure and ponder? 
you'll remember that when the shepherds came, it says there in Luke 2 that she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Twelve years later, when she and Joseph and Jesus went down to the temple, you remember, and Jesus stayed behind, when finally they were reunited, she pondered these things. What do you ponder? What has captivated your heart about this intersection between God's world and your world and how that works? And then there's Joseph. Joseph, what, what do we know about Joseph? You'll remember that it's Matthew that tells us the story of Joseph. Probably uh, you have made a New Year's resolution once or twice in your life. I think I'm going to read the whole New Testament this year. And so you start with Matthew chapter 1, of course. And you get through about three verses and you're starting to yawn. All these names I can't even pronounce. What in the world does it matter? I've read it many times. And this week, it hit me like never before. The last verse of that long list of names is where we meet Joseph. Would you look at it with me? It's amazing. It says in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 1, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now, if the shepherds were identified by their profession... And if Mary's identity was in her marital status, what is Joseph's identity? What do you see there? Help me with that one. I'm sorry? Son of Jacob. Isn't that interesting? Daniel, you're exactly right, and that's what struck me. I wonder how many times did his daddy sit down with him and say, Now, son, I could have picked any name. I'm Jacob. The very best name I could have given you is Joseph. How many times did he tell him the story of Jacob, who had 12 sons, one of them, Joseph, in the Old Testament? The, the Joseph, the coat of many colors? The Joseph who was, by his own brothers, thrown down into a pit and then sold as a slave and then became, 13 years later, the prime minister of Egypt? Do you suppose that over and over again, Jacob said to Joseph, Son, I don't know what God has in mind for you but I think it's going to be special. Don't ever shortchange yourself. Be ready to hear God's call in your life. Be ready, Joseph. I'm going to do the best I can as your daddy to prepare you for that day when God calls you and you have an opportunity to step by faith into something very special. Did you grow up, men, in this room, in a family, where your daddy or your granddaddy didn't tell you you'll someday be a great baseball player? Or a very successful businessman. But he told you, be ready for when God calls you. I'm going to do my best as your daddy to prepare you for that call of God. I'm going to do my best to prepare you to be a good husband to the woman that God is going to bring into your life. Joseph, the son of Jacob, the husband of Mary. Isn't that a great calling, men, to be a husband? Do you remember when Solomon writes, guard your heart, it's the wellspring of life. Husbands in this room, or sons who may soon be husbands, would you agree that at the moment when you stand on a platform and she says uh, to, the, to the pastor, I, I do, part of what she's saying is, I am entrusting you, my husband, with my heart. Guard it carefully protect it. Don't squeeze it. Don't beat on it. Don't drop it on the ground and stomp on it. And don't let anybody else hurt it. 
Matthew tells us, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, do you see what it says? She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? There was no angel that appeared to Joseph yet. She was found to be with child. There was no ultrasound. Have you heard about Mary? Just look closely. I think she's showing. What do you think? Yeah, Mary, is it true? How did Joseph first hear it? Accusing Joseph, how could you? At least be a man and step up and acknowledge that you did. Joseph somehow heard the news. He wanted to ignore it, but he couldn't. He needed to engage with it and most likely said, Honey, I have to ask you a question. The word on the street is, Is it true? He had to embrace it. God, what do I do with it? What she wants me to believe is ridiculous. So what do I do with it, God? I know what, what your word says. The law says she should be stoned in whoever the man is. But she's such a wonderful young woman. She's so gentle. I'm thinking the best thing would be I'll put her aside quietly and find a way to kind of take care of her, but I can't be associated with her, God. Wouldn't that be the right thing, God? Then an angel appears to her, to him, in a dream, in a vision. Joseph, this is my work. My calling on you, Joseph, like your daddy had told you, I'm calling you to a very special life. I want you, Joseph, to build a safe family. I want you to receive this young woman, even though you cannot understand it, and be her protector provider, her lover, and raise that son as your own, how would you have responded? Matthew tells us he took her home to be his wife, but had no union with her until the child was born. Mark tells us that they had a whole house full of kids together, several children that God blessed them with. We don't know how long Joseph lived. We don't have the story of his death anywhere in the Scripture, but from all that we can tell, he was faithful to that calling. Mary, I'm sorry, but we, we have to go to Nazareth, uh, to Bethlehem. The Caesar wants more money. <laughs> we have to register. I'll, I'll make it the most comfortable trip I possibly can. I'm sure there will be a room. I'm sorry, Mary, but there, there are no rooms. <laughs> it's a stable but I'll be right there for you. And I'll help you in every way that I can. I'm sorry, it's the best I can do. Mary, wake up. We have to go right now. God has spoken to me in a vision, we have to go right now. Great danger is coming. Herod is going to kill the babies. Mary, I'm sorry, I would have never imagined trying to live like a refugee in Egypt, but I'll do the best I can. Mary, son, we can go home, finally. God has told me Herod is dead. It's safe to go home. I'll find a good place. 
We've been sending missionaries around the world since 1930 from this little town of Williams Bay. We've come to understand that there is a new mission field right here in Walworth County, as in other places around the United States. The calling from God is coming to special people. Would you, like Joseph, provide a safe family for children who through no fault of their own cannot be at home? Not adoption, not foster care. Watch this for just a moment or so. I think kids just innately feel if their lover accepted. And so I think just loving them has been the biggest thing. The idea is like, how can we really wrap around these families as a community? I liked the idea of reuniting families without all the red tape. Say family takes in a child, loves them like you would your own, and then sends them to be with mom and dad where they belong. I'm Rachel. I'm David. I'm Ella. I'm John. And we're the Hibleys. That's one family. We have a couple more among us. Aaron and Nicole, would you please come? They have opened their home. They have received right here in Walworth County into their home other children. Please come. Nicole, you have children of your own. How many? Six. And you have room for more. Do. Tell us about that. Give us a story of just one that you've taken into your house. We have had the opportunity to take in a little boy named Antonio. His mother became homeless. Hmm. And while she had a job. She was a single mom, and she didn't have family support, so nobody to help her with her baby hmm. while she went to work. So we've had him into our home now for a few months, and we've just had the awesome opportunity to love this little guy and pray over him and serve his mom. Your daughter Bailey was here between services. Is she still here, or is she gone? She's gone. Oh, I was going to ask her what that's like, but I didn't tell her I was going to do that. Our kids love it. I, that's what she told me. <laughs> I asked her, and it. she got all excited about it. Erin, we understand about adoption, and there are several families at Calvary who have done that. Some of these adults were raised in adoptive homes. We understand foster care, but this is different from that. How is it different? Yeah, there will always be a need for adoption and foster care. The way that Safe Families is different is that it's, uh, it's bringing a child in your home temporarily, but in addition to that, what makes it very special and unique is it's also um, surrounding the mother or the mother and father with, with love, helping them through whatever situation they are in at that time, whatever crisis situation, and in the hope that you will be able to reunite those families together. Mm. And, then, and then after that happens, to be able to uh, continue to support that family in whatever way you can um, so that, that they will be able to sustain that and continue to be a family. Sure sounds to me like that's what Jesus would do if he was here and had a family. Thank you for that. Now, if right now the Holy Spirit of God is stirring in somebody's heart saying, wow, I think I'd like to know more about that. 
I'm not going to just ignore that. I want to engage that. I'm not going to reject it. I want to embrace it. What do we do? How do we do that? You can start by visiting us at our booth in back. We've got information. We're going to be here Thursday evening at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall. Mm -hmm. So come see us. We'll do a more detailed unpacking of the different roles that are in Safe Families because it's not just hosting children. There are many opportunities to serve. Um, and so we look forward to meeting with all of you, speaking at greater length about Safe Families. Thank you. On behalf of adults who I'm sure grieve deeply that they can't do better for their kids because of their situations, thank you. On behalf of children who innocently have nothing to do with, but thank you. In addition to opening your own home, you're the leader of this movement here in Walworth County. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, Aaron. God bless you. You'll see that I have Zechariah and Elizabeth listed there. That's for you to study later today after the ball games when you've got some time to reflect. Shepherds, I want you to have the privilege of seeing him with your own eyes, but it's not going to happen sitting out here in the field. You've got to engage this news and go to Bethlehem and then tell the world. Mary, Mary, I want you to have the privilege of feeling your pregnancy knowing that it's God in there. I want to give you the privilege of nursing Jesus. <laughs> Mary, I want to give you the privilege of having a mentor who knows me well to help you along in that journey. But Mary, it's going to hurt. You're going to stand at the cross and watch him die. Few people will ever believe that it's true, the story you try to tell them. But Mary, your example is going to touch women for centuries and give them the courage to hear the call of God in their lives. Joseph, I know you'd like to be the finest carpenter that ever lived, but I got a much bigger idea than that. I need you to provide a safe family for God living here on earth. I need you to provide a safe family for a Mary who's rejected by her own family and everybody else. Joseph, will you step into the greatest calling of all time for any man? What is he saying into your heart right now about his calling for you in 2015 and beyond? I hear that. That means the Packer game's about to start. Okay, so we'll pray. God, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for meeting us in such a powerful way. Thank you, God, for the reality that your world intersects with our world. And you don't need a cell phone to do that. You do it through your word. You do it when we worship you. You, you do it in all manner of ways. And you're asking us, don't be a people who ignore it. And don't be a people who reject it, but be a people who embrace it and step into your calling for us. Are you at a place right now in your life journey, my friend, where you are ready to engage a touch from God? 
an invitation from God. While we worship with this closing song and prepare then to step out into our world, listen carefully as you worship. You may hear his voice speaking to you and calling you. We worship you, O